Antinomianism? I am not allow. Welcome back to our Romans series. Let's jump right in if you have your Bible open. I hope that it is open to Romans chapter 6. And before we get to Romans chapter 6, for context's sake, we're going to start in verse 20 of Romans chapter 5 and then move on from there. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, there is a whole lot there. I'm not sure that we're going to get past this little passage here today. But that's a good thing, because that means that there are a whole lot of things for us to cover here. St. Paul packing in a lot of theology in just four verses. So when he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. We can't forget that just a couple of chapters ago, he mentioned that people were saying some stuff about him that amounted to an accusation of antinomianism on his part. In Romans 3 verse 8, he says, why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So what he introduced a few chapters ago, he is now addressing in chapter 6. Shall we sin? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And his response is, by no means. Now, in the Greek there, that is a very effusive turn of phrase that more or less means hell no. Are we going to keep on sinning just because grace is going to abound? Hell no, that's not us. Why is he bringing this up? Because in chapter 5, he was bringing up that the free gift of the gospel is not like the original sin of Adam. The sin in the garden that doomed all of humanity to death, well, that is one guy... <laughs> One guy sinning and screwing everything up for everybody that came after, everybody who is now shackled to sin and concupiscence and dying over and over and over again, Jesus' atonement is more powerful than and more efficacious than everything Adam did. But that means that, well, every time you sin, that is a sin for which Christ died. Died. And St. Paul more or less expands on this in chapter 5, saying that, well, yeah, there's more and more and more grace given, more and more and more mercy for us. So the obvious conclusion a whole lot of people are going to make then is, well, why worry about not sinning then? 
why not just sin all willy-nilly? Because after all, if I'm forgiven, and if God's grace abounds all the more, then that should be perfectly acceptable, right? And St. Paul again says, by no means, hell no. What is his reasoning? He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says that you died to sin. Now we understand from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 that you were already dead. But now you are alive to God. By his Holy Spirit, he revives you in faith using the means of gospel, of the word of Christ. And that raises you from death, from being dead to God. Now, we understand here that this means there is a switch. You were dead to God, now you are dead to sin. What does that mean? I think it might be beneficial to understand that death does not mean cessation. Not in the biblical way of thinking about it. Your soul is immortal. No matter how you slice it, you are going to be eternally aware of things. That means that death needs to be redefined from the common secular parlance. When you die, it is not a cessation, it is a separation. You are separated from your body which is an integral part of you, but upon your death, there is that separation. You are cleft in twain, so to speak. So when you were dead to God, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, you were separated from him by your sin. Now that you are alive in Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. You are separated from your sin. Remember that those who are justified by their faith in Jesus Christ, the Father does not see their sin. He separates you, the person, the man, from the sins that you have committed and the sins that you have in your nature, your original sin. St. Paul here is saying, if you have died to sin, how could you possibly live in sin? It doesn't make sense. Why would you pine after something that is dead to you? Why would you pine for that? Why would you want that? And moreover, he says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, he explains himself in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. St. Paul here, being a very good Lutheran, <laughs> I imagine I'm making many people angry just saying that, but St. Paul here says, baptism does something. It does something to you. When you are baptized, you are baptized into Christ's death. What do we mean by that? What does St. Paul mean by that? Well, first off, 
Baptizo, properly speaking as a word in the Greek, it means to dip or to dye something. If you have a white cloth and you want to turn it purple, you get your purple dye and you baptize that cloth into that purple dye. It changes the color. It changes the nature of that cloth from a white cloth to a purple cloth. Conversely, you want to take a dirty rag and turn it very, 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 very clean. You drop it in a whole bunch of bleach. You baptize it. You dip it. You dye it in that bucket of bleach. So St. Paul here is saying that when you were baptized, you died to sin. Jesus died for your sins. In being united with him in your baptism, you are now changed so as to be dead to sin and alive to God, rather than the vice versa that just about everybody on the planet is born with, dead to God and alive to sin. So in your baptism, St. Paul explains, you are buried not just into death, not just being dead to sin and alive to God. You are buried into Christ's death, his death, because it is that same death by which you can say, I have hope and certainty of the resurrection just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is going to confuse a whole lot of people. Because now we're all asking, am I dead and alive at the same time? I mean, I still can like make a fist with my hand. I can still breathe in some clean air here. Um, I've seemed pretty alive to me. For that matter, I didn't even know I was dead to God before I became a believer. How does all this work? As confusing as it sounds, yes, you are dead and alive at the same time in two different senses. Maybe three or four. I mean, at the end of the day, you are dead to sin and you are alive to God if you are baptized. You are dead to sin. You are alive to the Lord, and yes, your body, strictly speaking, is still functioning. That would be a third way of looking at it. But it is being dead to sin and alive to God that ensures that you will one day have the eternal life in your body. So that this mortal coil, this maggot sack, as dear old Dr. Martin Luther used to put it, uh, will rise from the grave and be better than before. Now with that though, there are some objections. Some objections to St. Paul's invective against antinomianism that come throughout church history and they rear their ugly heads over and over and over again because heresy never dies. And the heresy of antinomianism more or less denies the distinction between mortal and venial sins. What do we mean by that? Well, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's a different understanding, but I'm just going to go ahead and go to the book of Hebrews here, chapter 10, verse 26 here, to understand what he means. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, John Chrysostom, he notes very aptly that the author of Hebrews does not say there is no more repentance, there's no more remissions, but more like there is a lack of a second cross, really. There's no one else that's going to save you. There's no one else that's going to make a sacrifice for you. When you decide to sin with a high hand, saying, I am just going to go ahead and do this, I am committing a mortal sin. If I do not repent, I will go to hell. No matter how much I say that I'm a Christian, no matter how much I go to church on Sundays and receive the sacrament and things like that, if I never repent of my sins, especially the mortal sins where I know better and I know how deliberate I am being in rebelling against God's command, if I continue in that, I'm damned. That's it. Sorry. That's how it is. Because the person who commits a mortal sin does not believe that the God of the Bible is his God. He is not putting his faith in Christ. He is saying, I know better than this deity. I am my own God. And the thing that I want to be my God, whether it be lust or stealing or money or any number of things, that's your God. You decided, even if just for a moment, that you were going to stop having faith in Jesus, stop trusting him, and stop trusting what he tells you to do, and instead, go about things your way. That's not faith. That's mortal sin. Venial sin is oftentimes the things we just blurt out, that when we do something wrong, oftentimes without meaning to, it's our old Adam kind of jumping up, <laughs> jumping up under the skin, trying to get us to do something wrong. You should still repent of venial sins because those can quite easily become mortal sins once we're aware of them if we do not repent. But the antinomian says, hey, wait a second, wait a second, sir. St. Paul, you just informed me that I am saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And if I have to go ahead and repent of all of my sins, and if I have to go to the confessional, and if I have to make this big deal out of everything, then you're saying I have to add works to my salvation, sir. So I should be able to do drunk driving 90 miles an hour down a 25 zone. I should be able to beat my children. I should be able to commit murder, not feel bad about a single thing, because otherwise, you don't really believe in the gospel, do you, sir? Antinomians are everywhere today. They love using this kind of rhetoric, too. Especially in the sexual sins that are just about stinking everywhere these days. They love to justify it. They love to say, So you think God hates me just because I love who I love? Just because I made what you're calling mistakes in my past? Just because I made decisions, you're saying that God sees me as worthless? No, I'm saying you need to repent of your mortal sins or else you're going to hell. You need to go to the cross. Period. End of story. Does that violate sola fide? No, because you are still saved through faith in Jesus alone. Period. How else are you going to be saved when you commit these sins? Who else is going to forgive you? Who are you going to look to for your salvation? You need to receive the forgiveness of your sins, not 
earn them. So going to confession, doing confession and absolution at the beginning of every single Lutheran church service, that is not a work that you do. That is asking for God to, in his mercy, give something to you. Now the antinomian is still going to reply that this is a work and they don't believe you for the same reason that the Baptist is going to reply that, well, that's great and all what St. Paul says about baptism, but he doesn't really mean it when he talks about baptism doing this sort of thing. No matter how many times I can read the plain words of Scripture here, St. Paul saying, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Any amount of times I can read, we were buried therefore with him by baptism, showing that baptism does something. The Baptist wants to define baptism as a public declaration of faith with the use of water, saying, oh, it is the outward sign of an inward change. St. Paul doesn't say that. He says that it is the baptism, it is by baptism that we were buried with Christ into death. He doesn't want to say that. He wants to say, no, you were already baptized into Christ's death before your baptism, even if St. Paul says otherwise, because he's holding on to that definition. He's holding on to that because otherwise he believes that baptism is a human work, requiring human hands to do a human work, and therefore that would add works to the schema of salvation. Whereas we Lutherans are going to say, no, baptism is an ordinance of God. Yes, he tells us to do it, but it is also a sacrament where he promises to grant grace. And besides, while baptism is necessary for salvation, it is not absolutely necessary, as we see Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 16 saying, Those who believe and are baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Our Lord Jesus does not say that baptism is absolutely necessary, but we are told to go get baptized in the book of Acts for those who say, what must we do to be saved? Well, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus, and be baptized. The Baptist does not want to say that. He wants to define it in a different way. The same way, when we look at the antinomian here, we will see a definition of sola fide, that leads to antinomian heresies. That faith in and of itself is a one-and-done ticket to do whatever you want but still go to heaven. Instead of saying, I trust in Jesus for my salvation, oh my goodness, I sinned, I watched porn, or I was lying to my mother when she asked me to be home at a certain hour, or I, I punched my friend, in a moment of rage after he offended me, all these things, I need to go to Jesus. I need to trust in him for my salvation, for my forgiveness. I need to go to him right now. That's fide. That is faith. That is trust. Versus the notitia, intellectual faith, that the antinomian holds. That as long as you believe Jesus rose from the dead and died for your sins, 
you know that in your head, good, do whatever you want. You want to do a heckin' tax evasion? By all means, please go about it. Please do. You are delivered. But is that what St. Paul says? Is that what the Word of God says? St. Paul has apparently wrestled with the antinomian heresy before because when he says, by no means, hell no to the idea that we should just go ahead and sin willy-nilly and continue in sin so that God's forgiveness just spreads around the world, he is effusive in this, saying, no, 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 no. You died to sin. That death happened at your baptism. You are alive with Christ right now and you're slated for the resurrection. Don't live like somebody who's dead to God. That's not you anymore. And then the next installment of this, we're going to talk about what you might call a core change. That there's something new about this. But capping everything off, we're going to go ahead and read in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Why would you ever, ever pine for being dead to God? Why would you ever in your right mind decide, God has done all of these things for me and I've been saved and everything, But you know what? I really miss that morning after experience, that guilt, that terrible feeling. I really miss that. I miss doing whatever I wanted and feeling like garbage for it. Oh man, that was just the best. Why would you do that? You have eternal life to look forward to. Why in sinning deliberately would you try to die to God again? That's what St. Paul is getting at here. He is saying, this isn't you anymore. You were just delivered from all of this. Why on earth would you go about doing all that again? For the last church that I pastored over, the Free Lutheran Church, their hierarchy had a great turn of phrase called living in victory. Meaning, are you living in the victory that Jesus won over your sin. Because if you're sinning all willy-nilly, you're not really living in that victory. You're not living for what Jesus died for, for the good works and the abstinence from sin that he honestly thought of when he died for you on that cross. It's living in victory. Now, unfortunately, in the modern Lutheran church, there's a whole lot of people that would go, ew, yucky, that's pietism. Excuse me, sir. Yes, I do need to go to Jesus for my salvation. And yes, I do need to go to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. But don't claim that I need to do anything. Yes, there is a new Lutheran antinomianism that disgusts me to no end. I cannot tell you how angry I've been over this in the past. The idea that, oh yeah, St. Paul's right. We need to die to sin and live to God. But the way that I do that is in Sunday, in the Sunday service, in the divine service, where I confess my sins and I receive the sacrament. And then I let God take care of all those works and stuff. I don't need to take ownership over any part of my sanctification. I don't need to live in this victory. But St. Paul says, all of this, all of this, 
was for new life on your part, for you to live in a new way. St. Paul says here, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, actively living this out, the new life we have in Christ Jesus, being alive to God. There is a tendency, and I honestly have to warn you here, there is a tendency in a lot of Lutheran churches to sneak in antinomianism by the back door by modifying it, saying, yes, live like hell the other six days of the week. Please do as you want. There are no judgments here. But come to church on Sunday so that all your sins are forgiven and you're truly putting your faith in Jesus. Because we don't want to be pietists, do we? <laughs> we don't want to urge people to do that whole living in victory thing. Well, I say to hell with that. I'm going to join St. Paul and say, hell no. I don't care how much you claim grace is abounding here. You're doing the same thing as the antinomians in the first century that St. Paul is arguing with here. Yes, you have the sacraments. Yes, we have confession and absolution. Yes, that is us. We love that. We go to church. We receive forgiveness. We trust in Jesus for that because that is faith. However, comma, Christ does not expect you to go ahead and start waving the new American flag and doing whatever thou wilt. We are not Crowleyans. We are to live in the new life that Jesus has given us, to walk in it, to rejoice in it, to be happy that we have the opportunity now to be pleasing to God in everything that we do and say in faith. That's what St. Paul's getting at here. But, you know, what do I know? All I'm able to do is just read the Bible and believe what it says plainly. Like a dum-dum, right? <laughs> At least that's how the world and the antinomians and the whole slew of heterodox and heretical people out there would put it. But I'll tell you right now, living in victory over sin and going to Christ when we are having a hard time with that and trusting in him to perfect us in our walk is a path of far greater joy to the believer than any other way of life. I've never met a happy antinomian. Just saying, never met a dude out there that was actually happy living in sin like a pig getting fattened up for the slaughter, ready to burn in hell. I've never seen one of those guys or girls that's actually happy, no matter how much pleasure they get out of it. I choose joy, and I hope you do too. Amen and amen.